Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Nikki Druce. And I'm Beryl Mole. And this is Killers, Cults and Queens. The podcast where we're going to learn all about the spookiest, scariest, and you know what? Damn right weirdest corners of the world. In this episode, we're turning back the clock to explore the deadly cult, the Manson family. Please welcome to the stage, Nikki Creepy Juice. Yeah, it works, doesn't it? <laughs> Cheryl Creepy Hulk. No, no! <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. Like, just when you think it's getting worse, it yeah. gets worse. It gets worse. Thank God it weren't electric. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey, life is a roller coaster, you just gotta rise it. <laughs> Killers, Cults and Queens, the show where we take you on a journey into the darkest corners of the world. Today we're going back in time to the swinging 60s to learn about the unhinged lives of the deadly and downright awful Manson family. But firstly, Cheryl, how have you been? Do you know what? I think I've got a confession to make. Oh. I had the weirdest dream two nights after our episode last week. Yeah. And do you know what? I think I got abducted. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you go? I don't know. Right. I do not know if it was just because of us obviously recording and talking about aliens and ooky spooky in Area 51. But it was such a vivid dream that I felt like it happened. Mm. Now, I got teleported from my house in Essex and I went straight up into the sky and I was just looking down. You know, in that episode of Doctor Who? Wait, did you ever watch Doctor Who? No, my other half is a huge fan and he keeps on trying to force me and I keep on going, "Mm, well, maybe Halloween time. Okay, there was the original comeback of Doctor Who in like 2005, Christopher Eccleston, I think his name was. I love a bit of Christopher Eccleston. Um, It was the episode where they were put onto that space station where the Daleks were doing all the reality TV shows and they were killing people off. So if you got evicted from Big Brother 
who got exterminated. Oh. And he gets onto the platform and he looks out and he sees the earth and he goes, what the bloody hell? Um, well, obviously didn't say that. It was primetime BBC. <laughs> but that was the dream for me. I was on this like space station, whatever, just looking at the earth going, should I be here? And I don't know whether it was, it was a very short dream. Okay. So whether I did get abducted or not is one thing. Maybe you did. No marks on your body? Hey, I'm bruised and battered always. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing myself around these stages, of course I'm going to be. So you wouldn't even notice? No incisions, though. <laughs> That's all right, then. Have you spotted my nails this time? Uh, right. For everybody listening at home, Nikki has some gorgeous, gorgeous nails. We've got shades of a deep purple, a piercing green and then we have some accent nails with some nude nail with the green and the purple at the tips but the prominent nails have aliens painted on them (gasps) but they look like space invaders they do don't they (laughs) now would you go for the beef or would you go for the pickled onion uh oh i like both oh you gotta pick one I think I'd probably have to go for the pickled onion. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I despise a beef crisp. And I'll tell you for why. They linger on your breath far too long. They do. Yeah. And also, if you don't wash your hands immediately, it is there. (laughs) And it ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Beef hula hoops, get in the bin. (laughs) Okay. Right. So, the Manson family is a cult of mythic proportions. I reckon almost everyone has heard of them in one way or another, and they more than likely know they committed a number of horrific murders, but they might not know the background story leading up to all of that. So, Shez, give me your top line on old Charlie Manson. Do you know anything about him? Um, pass. (laughs) I know the name. Know the name. Charles and Camilla. I know the name. Okay. (laughs) Well, we're going to really delve into it today, and having done... I've I've done so much research for this just because I wanted to feel like I knew the story um, yeah. before we dived into it. And it has been so fascinating. And normally I kind of, if I'm looking into something, I will get taken by it a little bit. But this I'm like, I want to watch all the things. I want to yeah. read all the books. And so I think you're going to really Well, you know what? Ever, ever since we started this podcast, Every time we've finished, I've always gone away and done a deep dive Mm. and like looked at the visuals on everything that we spoke about. And it's just absolutely fascinating because it's one thing listening and learning, but adding that extra layer, the other senses, it's always so fascinating to me. So I'm fully ready to dive in the deep end for the Manson family. And it's a good thing I've got my armbands because I think I'm going to need them. Okay, well, take a deep breath because we're going in. It's a warm summer evening on August the 8th, 1969 in Los Angeles, California. Up-and-coming actress Sharon Tate is sitting at home at 10050 Cielo Drive with her friend Joanna. Over lunch, Sharon tells Joanna that her husband, film director Roman Polanski, has just called to say that he'll be late returning from a trip to London. She's upset. She's eight months pregnant, and she just wants him by her side. I don't blame her. In an attempt to raise her spirits, she gets a group of friends together and heads out to El Coyote Cafe, a Mexican restaurant on Beverly Drive. After dinner, the group returns to Sharon's place at around 10.30pm, where they settle down and turn in for the night. However, 
they didn't realise this night would be their last. Before sunrise, Jay Sebring, Wojciech Frykowski, Abigail Folger, Stephen Parent and Sharon Tate and her unborn baby would all be brutally murdered by brainwashed cult members who were wanting to incite a war. But why did the gang murder five strangers in cold blood and who was really responsible for the massacre? Let's find out. (laughs) My God! Five! And an unborn baby. Yep. That is disgusting. Right, okay. I'm sorry. No more talking from me. Nikki, I need to know now. Let's get into this. Okay, so as I said earlier, this is a huge, complicated and really crazy case. And to try and understand it, we need to firstly go back to the very beginning and explore the early life of Charles Manson, the leader of the Manson family. So we can try and figure out what made this man so influential and so convincing that he managed to get his followers to go on to blindly murder seven innocent people. Did I do the maths wrong? No, you didn't do the maths wrong at all. Oh, plot twist. (laughs) So plot twist and possibly more. Well, there definitely was more than that, but... We'll we'll get there, we'll get there. In due course. Yeah. From day one, things were difficult for Charlie. He was born on the 12th of November 1934 in Cincinnati to a 15-year-old Kathleen Maddox. And as an unwed teenager, Kathleen knew she was in trouble straight away. Growing up, Charles didn't know his dad. He was a well-known con artist who called himself Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr., which is quite a name. Colonel Sanders of KFC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It sounds like that though, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> but get this, Colonel Walker was telling fibs. The 24-year-old had convinced the teenage Kathleen that he was a colonel. And when she announced she was pregnant, he suddenly proclaimed he had to go away on army business, leaving her on her own. As it turns out, Colonel was just his first name. He was not in the army, and surprise, surprise, after saying he would return, he was absent for quite a while. Hey, it's a story, a tale as old as time in the words of Beauty and the Beast. Just going out for some old army business and never returning. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh no, I might die at war. Sorry if I never see you again. Okay, bye. Yeah, good luck with that babby. Yeah. Kathleen herself was a child and was in no fit state to be looking after a baby. When her own mother found out she was pregnant, she shipped Kathy out from Kentucky to Cincinnati so she could have the baby out of state so as to not disgrace her family. In the interim, and now six months pregnant, Kathy married William Eugene Manson and later Charles would be assigned the infamous surname. So she's, she's now ended up marrying somebody whilst pregnant with somebody else's baby. I'm going to have to really, really, really pay attention this yep. episode because I'm already confused. <laughs> so she got preggers from Colonel. Yeah. She then moved to Cincinnati. Yeah. But then at 15 years old, got married to Mr. Manson. Yeah. And then gave birth to Charlie Manson. Yeah. Right. OK. OK. As long as I'm here and present in the room, we're good to move on. Yeah. Do we need to start putting strings on the board? <laughs> I mean, it would help, but we didn't prep that much for this No, we should, we should maybe start doing that, though. We'll bring a board. Yeah. Pen and paper. Can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. When Kathy did give birth, she didn't name the baby. 
leaving his birth certificate as no-name Maddox until she could return to Kentucky. Kathleen figured the least she could do after the shame she'd inflicted on her mother was to let her name the baby. And so, originally, he was named after her own father. But a few months down the line, and now back in Cincinnati, she would change it to Charles Miller Manson. Over the next year, Kathy's marriage to William would break down, and the pair got divorced, leaving her on her own as a single mum. At one point, she had decided she had had enough of motherhood, and prone to heavy drinking, she was allegedly approached by a lady in a cafe who offered to take baby Charlie off her hands in return for a pitcher of beer. Oh yeah, let me just trade off my child for some beer. Christ alive. What's going on in Cincinnati right now? But she's a baby. She's only 15. Well, she hasn't even done a GCSE. No, exactly. So she's understandably like, oh yeah, I'll have that, thanks. Yeah. Right, when you were 15, 16, what was your drink of choice in the park? Uh, Malibu. See, I was team Malibu, but I was also the Asda version of WKD. Oh. They used to do it in like the big bottles. Yes, I know the ones. Yeah. Yeah. That used to get me right turned up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never got into cider. I couldn't see the appeal with cider. I could understand that it was cheap and you got lots of it. Yeah. But it just didn't taste very nice. So yeah, Archers or Malibu used to be. Archers. Yeah. Now we're going back. Yeah. But like beer... From the jump, maybe it's maybe it's because I'm a homosexual, but <laughs> I never saw the appeal of beer. So if somebody went, I'll take this off you for a picture of beer, I'd go, no, thank you. No, you're but right. if it was a picture of Voddy Red Bull, come at me, bro. A, a Weatherspoons cocktail, yeah? The woo-woo, the purple rain. I will happily have one of those and just not share it with anybody. Yeah, just two straws and off you go. <laughs> oh, but both for me. <laughs> So the, I can get more in. The pre-drinks <laughs> of it all. The pre-drinks of it all. That's what it was. She was out on the pre-drinks and yeah. decided she would just drop Charlie off with somebody else. <laughs> Have fun. Bye. Later, according to Charlie in an interview, he would claim he wasn't returned to his mother for a number of weeks and his uncle had to go and track him down to retrieve him from his new family. Now divorced and a single mum at just 16, <laughs> Kathleen was in a downward spiral and at times would just up and leave, heading out of state and leaving Charlie behind with his grandparents for considerable amounts of time. By this time, in order to fund her drinking habit and to make ends meet, Kathleen had turned to crime. Along with her brother Luther, the pair would drive around scamming people at bars and committing other petty crimes. Their life of crime soon caught up with them though, and not long after Charles turned six, Kathleen and Luther were arrested and sent to prison for assault and robbery after they failed to rob a petrol station with a ketchup bottle. With a ketchup bottle? A broken ketchup bottle. Oh, like a glass bottle. Yeah, so like, stab you up. Oh, I was thinking like a plastic bottle of Heinz. <laughs> Just... I was like, what are you going to do? Squirt them? Call them a hot dog? Ah. Yeah, oh, that's going... Oh, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. You can't... Right, I'm sorry, but you can't make this shit up. No. Her brother is called Luther. Which is a divine name. How good is that? I mean, it sounds like the devil in disguise. I know the devil's Lucifer. Yeah. But it sounds like the cousin. No, it's got those sort of connotations, I think. Yeah. Yeah. With Kathy now incarcerated, Charles was sent to live with his aunt, Glenna, Uncle Bill and cousin Joanne in West Virginia until his mum got out of prison. And surprisingly, during this time, Charles's biological father also had a bit of time with the boy. So Colonel has come back. 
He's back from the war. He's back from the war. The once distant colonel, who now had another child and was married, heard about Kathleen's imprisonment and he actually started showing up for Charlie, being strangely quite a good dad. But it wasn't to last and he was soon again out of the picture. I was I was about to be like, oh, that's good. Like really turning up and making the effort. But yeah, again, short lived. Yeah. Now, Charles was known as a rowdy and disobedient boy, even at such a young age. During the three years his mother was in prison, he had obviously learned from the best, and he too started stealing and committing petty crimes. He was also prone to fits of rage, and one day cousin Joanne found him brandishing a knife in her direction, and she was convinced he was going to kill her, shutting him outside in the yard. To get back in, he slashed the screen door with a knife multiple times. And luckily, Uncle Bill and Auntie Glenna returned just in time where Charles denied the whole thing. Of course he did. Trying to put the blame on Joanne. Not only did Charles have a rough home life, he didn't get any reprieve when he went to school either. Bearing in mind he was much shorter and skinnier than all the other kids, it was obvious to his uncle that he was going to get bullied anyway. So on his first day of school, his uncle sent him to class in a dress, saying he needed to stop his sissy behaviour and learn how to fight. Ah, the 1940s. I don't get the logic in that. I wear dresses for a living. I don't get why you would send somebody. Is it because he wanted them to be picked on to then be like, come at me, bro. Let's fight. Yeah. Wow. That's a very interesting approach because surely you'd send them in as themselves and just say, stand your ground, know your, know who you are and rock out. Well, and also, what what are the teachers doing if they're seeing him arrive and they know that he's blatantly going to get picked on? Why, why are they not stepping in to stop that from happening straight away or sending him back home to get changed? Mm, like you said... The 1940s. Yes. Wait, we're still in the war. Yeah. That's where Colonel is. It's World War Two. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't actually a colonel. No, no. Just lying. Oh, okay. So first day of school, he turns up in a dressy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, you know. All the rest is drag. Yep. One thing Charles did like about living with his aunt and uncle, though, was the piano they had. He would listen to his family play and developed a deep love for music, which over the years would turn into the obsession, which ultimately led to the Cielo Drive murders. It's all coming round now. Yep. Charles generally, though, was an unhappy child who didn't fit in anywhere. He was starved of attention by all his family members, so he would act up to get any reaction from them. He was apart from his mother and he had no father in his life. He actually later said that the happiest moment in his life was when he went with his uncle to pick up his mum from prison. (laughs) That is heartbreaking. I know. She came out of the gates and hugged Charles for the first time in his life. Which I I don't want to feel sad for him because I know he went on to something awful, but no child deserves that, even if they are a serial killer. (laughs) We, We as humans, we have the empathy built into us. It's the people that remove empathy from their lives then go on to do not-so-nice things because 
We're, we All we want is the best for people in life. So, of course, Charles, a horrible, horrible person in the 60s murdering people, we don't like you. You're a mean bastard. But a child, we're going to be like, that's his first hug from a parent mm. ever. Yeah. Which is very, very sad. I know. I want to give, I want to get up. Can somebody hug me right now? I feel Aww, like I need a hug. I can give like, you a hug. We can, we'll, we'll just hold hands. Yeah, we'll, we'll just, just hold, hold hands. hands. It'll be fine. I feel, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, everybody. I'm feeling very emotional today because I'm a little bon- bit on the tired side. Mm. So if I shed a tear in this podcast, it's okay. You're allowed to cry. Yeah, it's perfectly fine to cry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This moment of happiness would have to get Charles through the rest of his young years. As Kathleen became distant once again and spent her evenings drinking whilst Charles bunked off from school. At one point, Kathleen was even arrested for gland larceny, but was never convicted and young Charles was watching and learning. Now, I had to look up what gland larceny was. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at you right now, Nikki, going... I'm sure I, I I'm sure I'll know what it is when you tell me, but right now I'm I'm gobsmacked to what glam larceny or whatever it is. <laughs> glam larceny. That's gonna be my drag queen name. Yes. Please welcome to the stage, glam, glam larceny. larceny. <laughs> what is it? Grand larceny. Grand larceny. Grand that's still that's still larceny. a that's still a drag name it in is. itself. It anyway. Is. Um, could we please have the definition of grand larceny? Please? Do you wanna do you wanna take a rough stab in the in Is the it dark? fire? No, it's not. Is it but robbery? It sounds, like, it sounds like arson. So yeah. yeah, yeah. It is robbery. So it's any theft in which the items value more than $950. We used to have it over here in mm-hmm. this country, but we don't anymore. So it's not. It's only something that's in America. So here in the UK, you're just tarnished if you steal anything like a pick and mix. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You're a criminal. It doesn't matter what you steal. When he was nine, sick of school, Charles set it on fire. Wait. <laughs> We've gone from him being sad that he's finally got a hug off his mum yeah. to then setting his school on fire. Yeah. So we're we're now progressing from I don't feel loved by anybody to hey everybody look at me nobody's giving me attention. I'm sorry Nikki I'm just trying to process this because we've just gone we, I feel I've gone from the the 3 meter board at the diving to the the 15 <laughs> like I've I've just done a big jump. So yeah that was a big big turn of events. Yeah. yeah. I understand he's frustrated in life but yeah burning down the school. He was bunking off and shoplifting 24-7, and at the age of 13 and too much to handle, Kathleen had decided Charlie would be better off in a foster home. However, none were available, and so he got sent to the Gibalt School for Boys in Indiana. The Gibalt School was a place for troubled teens, or as they put it, male delinquents, and was run by a team of Catholic priests. As you can imagine, it was very strict at Gibalt. Any kind of rule breaking was punished with beatings, either by a leather strap or a wooden panel. But Charles was no stranger to this. When he was living with his uncle, he would receive regular beatings for his misbehaviour, and his cousin Joanne said they never had any effect on him whatsoever. And I think that's just because it's attention of some sorts, isn't yeah. it? So he's just going, okay, well, it's fine if it doesn't matter what I do, because I will still get attention for this, even if it's negative. Every action has a reaction. Exactly. Positive or negative. 
Charles was not happy with the priests at Jibble. Unsurprisingly, he got into trouble all the time, and it wasn't long before he was looking for a way out. One night, he broke out of the dorms and fled. He slept in the woods and under bridges whilst he figured out what to do. But eventually, he ran all the way home to his mother. Kathleen must have felt bad for him because she let him spend Christmas with family, but then realised it would be a mistake to let him stay, so she took him right back to Gibalt, from which he then ran away again just ten months later. But this time, he didn't go running back to his mum, as she'd rejected him last time. So instead, he decided from here on out he needed to be a lone wolf, so he ran away to Indianapolis. Now, from this point onward, it only continues to get sadder for young Charles. We can't forget what he went on to do later on, but his childhood was really pretty miserable. In Indianapolis, he goes to a shop to steal some food as he's hungry, but then he finds some money behind the counter. Realising that he can use this money to rent out rooms and buy food, which is much easier, he keeps stealing cash, raiding shops everywhere he goes. Now, he did actually get a job delivering messages for Western Union in an attempt to get a normal life, but he had itchy fingers and couldn't stop stealing stupid shit. (laughs) He was trying to get himself back on track, but his criminal leanings kept creeping back in. He was eventually caught for his petty crimes and was sent to Boys Town, which sounds like quite a fun place to go, but it's not. (laughs) Boys Town in Chicago? Uh, in Omaha, in Nebraska. Oh, okay, because there's a boys' town in Chicago, and that is quite fabulous. Oh, okay, so it's not the same place. (laughs) He was there only four days before he broke out with the help of another student, Blackie Nelson. Together, they stole a car, found a gun, and drove all the way home to Blackie's uncle's house, using the gun to rob loads of places along the way. So we're now upping the ante. Things are getting a bit risky now. So we've gone from arson... To burglary. Yeah. To guns. To guns and stealing cars. Oh, God. Blackie's uncle was a career criminal, and he agreed to take them on as little criminal apprentices. (laughs) Hey, do you want to join my crook business? Yeah. It's terrifying to think that he's like, yeah, all right, these little boys that have now got a gun and a car. Yeah, come on, be fine. Now, this is an apprenticeship and an internship, so you're not being paid for your business, but you will reap some of the rewards. <laughs> we'll pay your lunch for you. Yeah. <laughs> nice Tesco meal deal. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. However, the boys weren't very good at their new job and were caught <laughs> after just two weeks of being little crime boys. So... <laughs> oh, dear. So Charles is sent to his next facility, the Indiana Boys School. So we're now up to up to number three. Up hey, number everything three. happens in threes. Yeah. Well, this might happen in more than that. <laughs> it is, this is Charlie after all. It is old Charlie. Charles alleges that he was sexually assaulted repeatedly at the Indiana Boys School, saying that it just became part of the daily routine and he would do the same to other boys. He was beaten so often that he developed what he called the insane game. The insane game was a technique that he used when he couldn't physically get himself out of a situation where someone was attacking him. Instead, he would make loud, wild noises, writhe around and wave his arms about to convince whoever was after him that he was mad and wasn't worth the trouble. It took Charles over 18 attempts to escape the Indiana Boys' School, but in the end, he did. 
Now, this is a serious game of cat and mouse between Charles and the US justice system because he was then arrested for stealing a car and sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys, at which he did some tests and they realised he was illiterate. Oh, bless him. So we're now up to four? Four schools and lots and lots of crime. Lots and lots of crime. (laughs) But do you know what? I think a lot of this has stemmed from one... His childhood trauma with his broken family and two, the fact that your universal skills you need to get through life, reading, writing, etc., that's holding him back. So that's making him frustrated. So, of course, he's going to lash out and do whatever he can to get the attention that he requires because... He's got no other way of communicating, you know? Yeah, you're entirely right. He wouldn't have succeeded at all in a normal school because he was... The amount of education that he'd received up till that point had not been enough that he could slot back into a normal school. So he was, you know, already alienated by that point. Mm -hmm. And especially being a teenager as well, kids are brutal. So if you are... You can't read a simple sentence, they're going to be like... And that's going to rile him up even more. Yeah. And trying to settle into a new school as well. Like, how hard is that? Like, Did I've, you ever have to move schools? Only once. Only once. And it was it was hard. Yeah. I, uh, I was very lucky that I transitioned through the same infants and juniors straight into one senior school. And it was a breeze for me. Yeah. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Yeah, no, I, I, we moved from only when I was in little school. And so, yeah, I then had to change schools in little school. And I got called posho because they said my accent was very posh because I came from Surrey. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, Don't have, you know? <laughs> so, fun fact for everybody at home, my husband Hayden listens to the podcast and he says, Nikki has the most calming, soothing and beautiful voice, doesn't she? So that's, that's why up- I love Hayden. <laughs> and that sorry upbringing has helped you. So if people called you posho, fuck them. <laughs> That's all I can say on the situation. Yeah. Because look at you now. Yeah, look at me now. Bunch of bastards. <laughs> this is where Charles's manipulation tactics start to be developed. Apparently, he would get other boys to plead his case to officers and members of staff, telling them that Charlie was working really hard at becoming a better person and he just needed a chance. He even convinced an actual doctor that he needed to be sent to a minimum security unit where he could really flourish and become an upstanding member of society. How do you think that went? (laughs) Um, They probably laughed him out the room. Well. What? (laughs) The papers were signed, but before he could get there, and this is a bit grim, um, he was found sexually assaulting a boy at knife point. I have a question. Yes. Is uh, Mr. Manson part of my family? Um, he is. He later went on to say he is bisexual. Oh, okay. Because all all these instances involve uh, sexual encounters with the males, male on male. So I was like, is this just a lashing out, and it's they're the only quote unquote victims, or is it because he actually wants them? Yeah, I think he does actually want them. So, yeah. So Charles has now been sent to the federal reformatory. um, And whilst he was there, he became so violent during his time that he committed eight other serious offences, including three more sexual assaults. He was punished and deemed safe only under supervision, which is pretty terrifying at such a young age. I know. And it's it's quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. By that September in 1952, Charles was moved to a maximum security reformatory for boys, where the plan was that he'd stay until his 21st birthday. But just a year after he arrived, he managed to learn to read and write and hadn't gotten into trouble at all. So at the age of 19... He was let out on parole for good behaviour. I mean, bravo to him for grabbing the ball by the horns and learning to read and write and try and turn things around. But in the back of my head, I'm like, don't believe this, Shezzy. It's all an act because he knows you can't get away with acting up in a maximum security. The only way you can get out is by playing the game. Exactly. If you're good and they think you're good, then he can just saunter on out of there and they'll open the gate freely and off you go. It's a bit like Marge in um, the Pizza Bomber case. She knew how to play the game and she was smart. And I feel like he's now out of his adolescent stage and he's now in that pre-adult, no, you've got to be smart to get forward in this life. Now free, he was sent back to live with his aunt and uncle, who shockingly welcomed him back after all he'd put them through. But he wasn't there long. He soon broke his parole to go and live with his mother. His aunt and uncle didn't dob him in, though. It was almost like they wanted to give him a second chance at life. And his second chance at a new life happened pretty soon. 
Not long after he moved back to his mum's house, he met Rosalie Jean Willis, a 15-year-old waitress at a nearby hospital. They fell in love and were married within the same year they met. By October 1955, Charles and a now pregnant Rosalie decide to go out into the world as a family. They moved to Los Angeles, but they didn't get there in the most kosher way. Charles had driven them across state lines in a car that he'd actually stolen in Ohio, and he was picked up and arrested by the cops. Here we go again, chapter two. Just can't help himself, can no. he? He's now got his, his nice, albeit teenage wife. Yeah. <laughs> teenage wife, uh, little babby. Yeah, and... little babby on the way. And, you know, let's go and start this new life. But he's like, no, I'm just going to steal this car for us to drive to our new life in. <laughs> in the words of Little Mix, it's in the DNA. DNA. Definitely is. It's terrifying. Now, Charles requested a psychiatric evaluation before his sentencing. And because the psychiatrist thought, I'm going to quote here, fatherhood would straighten him out, he was actually given just five years probation for this, despite his already extensive criminal history. But Charles was never one for turning up to things and following the rules, so he never turned up for his hearing. Shock. Yep. The judge was not impressed by this and revoked his easy five years of probation and sentenced him to three years in prison. So that'll learn him. <laughs> well, wouldn't I, look, if I was a judge and I was actually giving someone the benefit of the doubt and being nice, I would be pissed off too. Yeah. And if I had that power, I'm a petty bitch. I'll let you have it. Exactly. <laughs> I will turn around and be like, sorry, you wanted, you wanted five years probation. Fuck you. It's three years in prison. Enjoy that bastard yeah he would have definitely that he would have done something anyway during that five years of probation that would have got him back in prison (laughs) but he's royally fucked it for himself well he's fucked it by driving over state lines in a stolen car exactly (laughs) i told you this one was really wild (laughs) i'm not gonna lie the it's, it's flawed from the jump yeah rosalie who was now left on her own gave birth to their son who they named Charles Manson Jr., whilst Charles Manson Sr. was in prison. At first, Rosalie and little Charles came to visit Charles Sr. every week to check in, but after a while, the visits stopped, and by 1958, Rosalie was living with another man and filed for divorce, getting full custody of little Charles, thank God. However, uh, sorry for the sadness here, but um, unfortunately, Charles Jr. never got over the horror of what his father did later on in life and the circus that surrounded him for his infamous father as well. And he ended his own life at the age of 37. Oh, no. That is sad because you obviously have basically escaped that life, but you've got that stigma around you which obviously I'm going to learn about in due course. But, oh, that is that is very, very sad that he couldn't carry on with his life because of the bastard father. Well, and having the same name as well. Yeah. That's, you know, if you walk up and somebody says, oh, can I take your name, please? And you say, I'm Charles Manson. Junior. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not good, is it? No. So in prison, Charlie's manipulation knew no bounds. He got friendly with the warden and convinced him that he just truly wanted a normal life. He was just poor little Charles, a victim of the system, who really did want to be a good boy. And 
the warden bought it. He transferred Charles to a minimum security facility, where everything seemed to be going okay, until he found him one day in the car park, in civilian clothing, trying to hotwire a car, in yet another classic Manson escape plot. (laughs) He is obsessed with cars. Just like, right, I'm going to steal whatever I can, and... Where did he get the clothes? I don't know. Oh my God. (laughs) this, This man is mind-blowing but also if you've just got out run away don't stand in the bloody car park (laughs) if i put the red wire with the green wire will that work on a ford fiesta (laughs) christ off he goes in his smart car (laughs) and god it weren't electric (laughs) of course he's sent back behind bars again and is given five more years but after sweet talking almost everyone he could In September 1958, when Charles was 23 years old, he was released from prison and given five years parole. So during this time, Charles was trying to get his claws into a new criminal career. Because why would he not be trying to still be a criminal at this point when he's just been released? Hey, if it's all you know. Exactly. And he learned from a friend of his that he could prey on young, vulnerable runaway girls and sell their bodies for money. Not even two months later, Charles was caught pimping out a 16-year-old girl and manipulating another young girl to steal money for him from her very wealthy parents. I want to hit my head against this microphone right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beginning to go that way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He continued just generally being highly dodgy, trying to cash forged checks he'd stolen from people's mailboxes and managed to actually make decent money by doing this. As time passed by, he amassed a harem of vulnerable and manipulated girls and became a pretty well-established pimp. I'm at a loss for words. Like, just when you think it's getting worse, it gets worse. It gets worse. His favourite girl was a woman called Leona, but she had been caught working the streets, landing Charles in hot water. But Leona loved Charles, and to get them both out of hot water, she married him so she wouldn't have to testify against him. Nevertheless, he received a 10-year suspended sentence, and yet more probation. But we know that Charles doesn't give a damn about probation, so (laughs) not at all. No respect for any of that. No, not at all. Give me probation, I laugh in the face of probation. (laughs) I'll see you in two years. I'm off to steal a car. (laughs) So he took his new wife, Leona, and another woman to Mexico to pimp them out there. It didn't last long, though, as he was caught and ordered to serve his 10 years back in Los Angeles. And there, he actually did spend some proper time in jail. But Charles wasn't going to put it to waste. Whilst inside, he rekindled his love of music, taking guitar lessons from a gang leader called Alvin Creepy Carpus, and used his influence to try and find connections in the outside world to start a music career. I might start using Creepy as my middle name. Please welcome to the stage, Nikki Creepy Druce. Yeah, it works, doesn't it? <laughs> Cheryl Creepy Hulk. No, no! <laughs> Absolutely not! Absolutely not! Absolutely not! <laughs> Have you have you ever just wanted to literally just go out and grab your words from the room and just put them back in you? Sounds like there might be spiders living in it. Yeah. Oh, cobwebs. Little trapdoor spiders. It's been a while. It's been a while. 
no. Cheryl Creek. No, I'm not even going to say it again. I'm not. I'm not. I just want to think about Charles strumming it. No. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to change your name on your Twitter, Twitter no, handle? No. no. Maybe for the wait, maybe when the episode comes out. Yep. I will, I will, just for you. I'll do it for a week until we get... Uh, Actually, no, because this is a two-parter. So I'm going to have to have two weeks. Have to be two weeks. Two weeks of Cheryl fucking creepy hole. <laughs> right, okay. If you, if you are listening out there, everybody, and you would like this, please vote now. Call. <laughs> no, we don't have a phone line. <laughs> but you you... Pop it on our Insta. Yeah. Pop it on our Insta. Just yes. comment Cheryl creepy hole. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just you know, pile on. Traumatize me whilst you're at it. Okay, I'm, I'm just picturing Charles strumming his guitar now. Okay. 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 okay, okay, happy place. Okay, so one of his cellmates at the time in prison was a Scientologist. You know, the ones to do with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And they put Charles through over 150 hours of auditing. Now, this usually completely indoctrinates the auditee into the world of Scientology, but not Charles. For Charles, this was a unique insight into how to properly manipulate people in a more effective way than he'd ever experienced before. Whilst he was inside, Leona had his second son, Charles Luther, but then quickly she divorced him, which makes me think that that it baby wasn't his might baby. not have been his. Yeah, because when you said she's just had a second baby, I'm like, w- 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 rewind. When when did she? You know? <laughs> so this this is his second son. So not her second baby, but Charles's second son. So that's her. Oh, it's yeah. her first baby. So it's her first baby, but his second. I was going to say, when when did they have the first child? So another Charles. So another Charles. Oh, Christ alive. Eventually time passed and Charles had served his time. He was released from prison on March 21st, 1967, at the age of 32. By this time, he'd spent more than half of his life behind bars, and so the thought of being released was terrifying for him, as he'd become institutionalised, becoming used to the routine. Charles was so used to being inside that he reportedly begged authorities to let him stay, telling them it was his home. I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised. The prime years of your adulting life where you learn all the key skills he's locked up inside getting meals given to him bedtimes and i don't know like a playground to play in yeah he's just become so used to this is his life now so anything outside of those walls is terrifying and all he knows is that he's going to get back out there and just resort back to crime so what's the point in him leaving because he's just going to end up back in anyway have to go through the trauma of going to the courts again yeah so why bother may as well just stay in but Unbeknownst to Charles and the rest of America, he would soon have a new home filled with young women who hung on his every word and would do everything he said, including murder. Now, if you thought that Charles Manson had a wild life before 1967, you ain't seen nothing yet. Remember that Charles is on probation, but he breaks that immediately to move to Berkeley from L.A., He's smart this time, though, and calls the probation office as soon as he gets there, asking them to transfer his supervision to someone in the area. Incredibly, they were like, yeah, sure, and handed him over into the less than capable hands of criminology doctoral researcher and probation officer Roger Smith. 
Whilst in Berkeley, Charles becomes immersed in hippie culture, which is now booming. And the main component of this was the psychedelic drug LSD. Oh no, here we go. Here we go, take the tab. Which is super interesting for probation officer Roger, because Roger had spent years studying the effects of LSD and methamphetamine, which is speed to you and I. Okay, thank you. So Roger knowingly lets Charles use LSD and even uses him as a test subject, stating that the change in personality Charles displayed whilst on drugs was the most abrupt he had observed in his entire professional career. Sounds like a fantastic probation officer. I mean, you're giving a mentally unhinged person narcotics that are not going to do anything to help them. Yeah. I mean... I'm fully I'm fully here for the medicinal marijuana because that is medicinal purposes that can help relieve pain and stuff like that. Yep. But LSD, we're taking about three steps up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit mm, there's a lot of research done around LSD and how it can also help People that have mental health issues, mm-hmm. if they take it in very, very small doses, so like microdosing. In the swinging sixties, but it was in the a swinging sixties, it wouldn't have been a small dose. It would have been, I'm off to space. I'll see you later. <laughs> Me being abducted by aliens. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> so at this time, Charles also really got into reading, especially books like Stranger in a Strange Land, which was a science fiction novel. Having learned tricks from his Scientologist cellmate, he starts preaching all around town his new philosophy based on free love, the Stranger in a Strange Land book, the Bible, Scientology, and the Beatles. Hello. (laughs) Introducing to the stage. And being the revolutionary 60s, people ate this shit up. I'm not surprised. Before he knew it, Charles had a follower, a librarian at the UC Berkeley campus. Mary Brunner. She was besotted with him, and as Charles had nowhere to go, she let him move into her place rent-free. Charlie quickly realised outside of prison, he had to build back up what he'd left behind, and that he could create his own family, something he didn't feel like he had much of when he was growing up. His next follower was a 14-year-old girl who still backs Charles Manson to this day, Lynette Froome. You were joking. He loves his 14-year-olds. To this day? Yeah, to this day. Oh, girl, get a hobby. Yeah, she still loves him. Lynette would later earn the nickname Squeaky, but we'll find out more about that in a little while. I'm not sure I want to (laughs) know. She had run away from home and was sofa surfing when she met Charles. Spotting she was exactly the type of girl he could use, Charles preyed on her instantly, using all his charm. She fell in love with the 32-year-old and followed him everywhere from that moment. She still talks about the Manson family in a fond way and said that there was, and I quote, plenty of lovemaking, plenty of dancing, we were always taking care of each other. Which sounds pretty groovy in 60s, apart from the blatant paedophilia accent. That is a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a very valid point. Yeah, but you know, sounds like it was sort of. Oh, we must love. We were cuddling. Yeah. Mm, you were also 14. 14. Terrifying. Yeah. Charles was working on growing his family, and he picked people up who he knew were easy to control. 
but also ones he knew would bring in other recruits. He purposely picked promiscuous girls, and if they were pretty, even better. He also started to allow men into the group, as he knew they were bringing girls and it gave a more balanced vibe. Also, as Charlie saw it, having some men involved was helpful, as he could delegate crimes such as stealing cars and committing fraud to them. Always making stealing the cars. Always stealing the cars. And that would make the family more profitable. Charles kept preaching, encouraging his growing number of followers to join him on group LSD trips, where, of course, he would take less than everyone else involved so he could stay in control. During these trips, Charlie would command the group to do as he said, and he would preach for hours on end so they could understand the true meaning of the world. And this meant orgies, which went on for hours. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'll be up for that. <laughs> Just a little tab of LSD. And <laughs> Minus the LSD. Orgy, yes. LSD, no. But yeah, so he's completely got them under, under his thumb at this point. <laughs> By the spring of 1968, Charles had 20 dedicated followers. And get this, his parole officer, Roger, knew all about this and was totally fine with it. Oh, yeah. You're starting a cult. Go for it. It's fine. Can I just check your brain every once in a while for some LSD action? That's what he was doing. He was getting members of the family in to test the effects of LSD on them as well. The system is flawed. Exactly. So he was just using this whole shit show to his advantage, really. Now, members of the Manson family would come and go, but the core members were Charles Tex Watson, arguably the most vicious and bad-tempered member of the gang, Bobby Beausoleil, a musician and composer who, fun fact, and you're going to like this one, went on to compose some of the music for Lady Gaga's Five Foot Two documentary from Behind Bars. What? (laughs) Do you need me to go (laughs) rewind there? So he's he's able to work from behind bars. Yeah, the apparently prison officers from my research um, afterwards they uh, they don't like the fact that he's doing this because he's profiting from his time being in prison. But apparently it's it's been okayed and agreed by certain members in the prison to allow him. Are to Are we going to learn more about his antics and why? We he's are going to learn okay, more about great, him because yeah. I need to know. Yeah. how we got there and then I need to go back and watch the documentary and go that's the Crocs music yeah so you can listen to it <laughs> fascinating you know me too well <laughs> um, also interestingly enough as well next fact um, that Lady Gaga five foot two mm-hmm. same height as Charles Manson he's five foot two five foot two right I'm not gonna lie the picture that we saw of him with his first wife I went he's a bit of a dish yeah, he's he's not he's not unattractive. But five foot two has just killed my hard on. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay, so back to the members of the gang. So the next one, Susan Atkins, a teenage runaway, Linda Kasabian, who yes, Kasabian, the, the band, band are named after Linda Kasabian. You are joking. No. <laughs> I'm getting all the fun facts. Yeah, today. you're getting all the fun facts. There's more of them as well. Patricia Krenwinkle, which is a fantastic name, who the group called Katie. Leslie Van Houten, who Charles renamed Lulu. Lynette Squeaky Froom, who we heard about earlier. And, of course, Manson's first follower, Mary Brunner. But the latter would eventually drift away for reasons we'll discover later on. Can't wait. By this time, the family had now stolen a big yellow school bus. (laughs) 
We've upgraded from several cars to a school bus. Go on. And had painted it black, driving around California and committing petty crimes. They would carry out some necessary crimes such as dumpster diving so they could eat and small thefts to make money. But one of their favourites was something they liked to call creepy crawls. Creepy crawls happened in rich neighbourhoods and the family members would take to a stolen vehicle and drive until they found a huge house. With their target acquired, they would find an open window or unlocked door and make their way inside, which always lock your bloody windows and your doors. Yes. Always, always. Once they were in, they would just silently rearrange the furniture in the home and then leave. These creepy crawls were never with the intention of stealing, just for fun. Though, of course, as the gang became more and more out of control, it obviously did descend into stealing. As things were escalating and the cult growing in numbers, it wasn't long before the Manson family were outgrowing Berkeley and the bus, so Charles went out in search of a new home for his family. He found probably one of the most iconic headquarters for a cult in history, Spahn Ranch, marking the beginning of of one of the most chilling weeks the Hollywood Hills has ever seen. And that is part one of the Manson family. Right. Lots of information, lots of backstory, lots of stolen cars. I am I'm so, so ready to find out more now. Like, I'm fully invested in the five foot two bastard. Yep, he's a little shitbag. And he's only going to get shittier from here on out. <laughs> well, I'm petrified. The Look, if this was the modern day and he was running around and caught on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I'm sure he wouldn't last two seconds against Lisa Renner. <laughs> Vicious. Yeah. Don't you dare talk about my husband! <laughs> Wine glass smash. Wow. Jump in a stolen car. Yeah. <laughs> just hot wiring it outside. Let me just hot wire this Lambo on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Christ alive. Do you know what, Nikki? Thank you so much for giving me so much information because I feel like we really, really set the scene for the carnage that's about to unfold. Hold on to your hats, is all I've got to say. <laughs> hold on to your knickers, girls, in the words of uh, Victoria Beckham in Spice World, the movie. <laughs> have to say the knowledge out there on this topic is vast and much more than we can fit into one episode which is why this will be a two-parter so please check out our sources if you want to find out more or just tune in for part two next time yeah please do for the rest of the story yeah you're only getting half the story if you've come to part one and if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please have a look at the description for lots of helpful resources next time on killers cults and queens we're getting into the next part. We, we've set it up. We're getting into part two of Five Foot Two, Charles Manson. The bit where he moves in with a beach boy and starts building a plan to decimate Hollywood. So just make sure that you join us next time. Subscribe or follow to make sure that you never miss an episode of Killers, Cults and Queens. And if you have a case or a story you'd like us to explore, get in touch. See you next time. And don't be a killer or join a cult. Just be five foot two. Goodbye. Hello. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.